This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sunday, February 20th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. Is diplomacy still an option to end the Russia-Ukraine crisis? We're sort of in a loop, and we don't know at what point um, somebody spins off that loop. And House leaders take a rare step, endorsing the primary rival of a fellow Republican. Liz Cheney is in a very tough re-election. Her, her odds are, are, are slimmer by the day in a Republican state like Wyoming. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. There's been a lot of air travel between Moscow and other European capitals. Shuttle diplomacy with a growing number of Russian troops, more than 150,000 NATO and the USA surrounding Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin has met with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and French President Emmanuel Macron. There, of course, have been phone calls with President Biden. An invasion, President Biden and European leaders insist, would trigger unprecedented sanctions and a strong NATO presence in Eastern Europe. Fox News correspondent Amy Kellogg has covered Moscow and the Russian president for decades. She shared her reporting from the Russian capital as the threat of war looms. They... The line here, and it's pretty widely accepted and and bought, if you will, is that the Russian speakers or ethnic Russians in Ukraine are under grave threat, that this Kiev regime, the Volodymyr Zelensky regime, is fomenting nationalist sentiment and is discriminatory towards non-Ukrainians, which I, I personally have not seen evidence of. I don't live in Ukraine, but... That is the line. And um, and Putin has always put himself forward as the protector of Russians. So, I mean, see, if you want to be cynical and you're critical, you would say that he's trying to create a pretext to go in there to protect, quote unquote, his people. Um, he he dismisses the fact that he wants to take any part of Ukraine or to control Ukraine. But he or his People will say that it's what well, he has said, of course, that it's unacceptable that, NATO, that that Ukraine would become part of NATO because it would be just too much of a security threat for Russia. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, he's been clear that he's concerned about Ukraine joining NATO. And he also and many official Russians will say that the U.S. and the West are pushing Ukraine to be very pro-West and very anti-Russian. And then he will say, and yeah, and because of all of this, Russian speakers are under threat. So uh, that could be the pretext ultimately for something really violent to kick off. And it may be happening even as we speak, we're hearing reports of a big explosion in Donetsk, which is one of the self-declared republics under the control of Russian-backed separatists. So um, 
that is kind of the the landscape right now. Right. And so I, I guess before all of that was a, a lot of shuttle diplomacy. We've seen a number of European leaders meet with uh, President Putin. Um, what have those discussions been like? Are they at the invitation of, of the Kremlin? And is that diplomatic path making any headway? It's really hard to know, Jared, because um, yesterday we had a response from from Russia to Secretary of State Antony Blinken's written responses to the Russian requests. So, and, and the language was very, I would say, aggressive on the Russian responses, but it's been pretty much formulaic where Russia says, we and maximalist, we, we can't have Ukraine and NATO, we can't have NATO expand anymore, we don't want any Western weapons in, in Ukraine, and we don't want any strategic weapons in Eastern European countries that used to be part of the Warsaw Pact. And those are non-starters for NATO and for the U.S. So Russia keeps saying that their needs are not being met, but that they are willing to talk about other security-related issues for Europe, for Europe and Russia particularly, and that would be arms control and some more transparency on on these military exercises. So Russia says that it will be open to those discussions, but it also always adds that it, this won't go forward unless its key demands are met. So we're sort of in a loop and we don't know at what point um, somebody spins off that loop. When you talk about- it's, it's unclear how it could be resolved yeah. if there are these two separate sort of ultimatums. When, when you talk about arms control, is that sort of an agreement that NATO won't deploy missiles and, and stuff in, uh, you know, eastern, the eastern flank? Is, yeah. it, is that one yeah. of the, the main concerns here, these military exercises? Yeah, the, the, um, the, they, they don't want nuclear weapons on their eastern flank um, or their western flank, Russia's western flank. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the INF Treaty, which regulated the numbers of, I guess, intermediate range nuclear weapons that each side could have, I guess just, um, well, it, it no longer functions. So I think it would be returning to that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like these exercises that Russia says that it has the right to be conducting all around Ukraine on its territory. I think um, if there had been a very credible explanation as to why this needed to happen, we'd be in a different place. But I think therein lies the contradiction at the moment where there really is no reason for such military exercises to be happening right now. Let's talk about what's happening here in the United States. Obviously, President Biden has said that if there is an invasion of any kind, it will be met with strong financial economic sanctions. Um, lawmakers have said the same thing. Are those threats of sanctions, the reality of sanctions, um, a, a real disincentive for for the government in moscow they won't admit it jared but i can't imagine how they wouldn't be when i first started coming to russia for fox 20 years ago it was 30 rubles to the dollar now it's in the 80s so obviously there are a lot of different reasons for that but certainly economic isolation is not going to help that they put on a brave face saying that we really need to be independent and have our own industry and our own alliances outside of Europe, apart from the United States. We need to trade with China. We need other 
other um, other partners. But I think particularly if if they were cut off from SWIFT, and I don't really understand fully how that all works, but that would be horrific for them. And um, I think they hold out hope that people would still need to buy their uh, their oil and gas. They somehow think that's going to keep working because, or that's going to keep happening even in the event of something bad because uh, Europe particularly needs them. And I don't know to what extent that is true, but um, yeah, they don't, they, they say they're not scared, but I can't believe that they would be, um, they, they would really handle it well. And I, I don't know to what extent it's a deterrent because they simply won't admit anything. What is the economy like in Russia right now? Well, it's, um, uh, I, people project that GDP growth has been clipped by about 3% a year because of sanctions. So that's a lot. And mm-hmm. there is this line about corruption here being a very serious issue, and that hurts an economy. Um, the cost the cost of living is very high, but I think that's not exclusive to Russia right now. Inflation right. is a problem everywhere. Um, you know, it's interesting. Moscow is a microcosm. Moscow is a highly functional city. Uh, it's very efficient. And a lot of things work very well here. But I think when you go out into the regions, it's a different story. And I think for people who don't have a solid income, it would be very difficult to live in Moscow because it is not a cheap city. I don't have figures for unemployment mm-hmm. to hand, but people are complaining that the economy is not in a great place. You hear that a lot. Obviously, they're dealing with things like we are, COVID closures. I've seen a lot of empty storefronts. But again, that is also somewhat universal now. I do think there's a sense that Russia has shot itself in the foot over the years, especially when the price of oil was as high as it was at once, by not developing industries outside of petrochemicals. What's the uh, popularity of President Putin? I spoke to a pollster yesterday, and it's in the high 60s. That's the okay. approval rating. And it was around 80 after Russia annexed Crimea. That That is called the Crimean consensus. Putin's popularity shot up in the aftermath of the annexation of Crimea. Now it's in the high 60s, which, it, which is something that American presidents would dream about. But obviously... It's a different situation here. And the pollster did say to me, and this is, this is a pollster who's quite credible here. It's, you know, I think the ability to do completely honest polling here is not um, does not exist. But this is a pretty, as far as the pollsters go, this one is believed to be the most independent. And he said that part of the popularity is based on the fact, a large part is based on the fact that Russians don't believe there's anyone else who could do the job or would be allowed in to do the job. So Putin is really the only only person Russians know. And um, like him or not, he's got a certain track record. And so, yeah, part of it is that they there's probably some respect for the fact that he's a strong man, but there's also a sense that there's no one else. Mm-hmm. I'll finish with this, Amy, because you've lived in, in, in Russia now for, or at least covered Russia for a long time now. Um, what do Americans need to understand about this conflict um, between Russia and Ukraine that, that maybe we just don't understand? I think the sense I get from Russians is that they do not want to control Ukraine. They don't want to own Ukraine. They they feel very 
close to Ukrainians. And it's mm-hmm. tragic for a lot of them. Well, first of all, because there are a lot of families that are mixed, but also because they have this brotherly historic relationship and that is really being strained by this. Um, I think that, that, that the propaganda, if you want to call it that here, works very well because people, this pollster was saying that a lot of Russians believe that it's the U.S. that is, or, yeah, the U.S. and the West that's forcing Russia into this situation has wedged it into between a rock and a hard place by by the NATO expansion. And there's a sense that Russia, uh, that America had an arrogant attitude after the Cold War that we won and we weren't going to do anything to help Russia get on its feet. And, and that resonates here. I mean, whether that's right or wrong, it, it, it it's something that you need to be sensitive to because that's how a lot of people here actually feel. Um, certainly, we can say objectively that Russia has done a lot to to harm its own interests, but I think it's important to understand how they feel and what they're thinking when you deal with them. And I think for the average Russian, it's been hard, the person who's not political, who's just trying to live his or her life, that their reputation in the world has taken a hit from all of this. And I I think that's tough. Amy Kellogg, uh, our reporter in Russia, watching all of these developments, uh, valuable insight. I really appreciate your time uh, at a very busy time for you. Um, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jared. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Here's something that doesn't happen very much. A congressional leader endorsing against a sitting member of Congress of his or her own party. But it happened this week. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy officially threw his support behind Harriet Hageman. Hageman is running against Congresswoman Liz Cheney in Wyoming's Republican primary. The number three House Republican, Elise Stefanik, also publicly endorsed Hageman. Stefanik was elected to that post after House Republicans ousted Cheney from House leadership last year. Cheney has been a frequent target of former President Trump's anger. In Cheney's criticism of Trump, an inclusion on the House committee investigating the January 6th riot have put her out of step with many of her House GOP colleagues. And the primary could become another test case of the power of the former president in Republican races. Fox News radio political analyst and National Journal columnist Josh Crossauer looks at that dynamic of the midterms. It's very unusual, and it goes against the National Republican Congressional Committee's stated policy of endorsing incumbents. That that's generally a rule that that they abide by. Usually, the party committee, party leaders, don't get involved at all in primaries. But if they do, it's on behalf of the Congress member of Congress, not against the primary challenger. So, what's behind this? I mean, obviously, McCarthy has been critical of. As of the rest of House Republican leadership, critical of Cheney, they they took the the uh, step of removing her from party leadership last year. 
Uh, but at the same time, uh, McCarthy has resisted calls from uh, particularly the, the, the conservative uh, wing of his party to to expel her from from House Republican membership. Is this kind of a middle ground? What, what what's uh, what's behind this this uh, this endorsement? Well, look, I think a lot of it has to do with politics. Liz Cheney is in a very tough reelection. Her her odds are, are, are slimmer by the day in a Republican state like Wyoming, and uh, she now has really one serious challenger and uh, an attorney, Harriet Hagman. Um, so so you know McCarthy wouldn't be doing this if Cheney had a decent shot of winning. I think the expectation now is that you know she may end up losing pretty pretty significantly to this more conservative primary challenger. I shouldn't say more conservative, but more pro-Trump uh, primary challenger. Um, but look, it still is very unprecedented and, and speaks to McCarthy's need to ingratiate himself with the right-wing elements of his own caucus. Uh, he's looking ahead to the leadership races of, of beyond 2022, beyond this year's midterm elections, and he knows that he needs every Republican vote he can get, and if there's some frustration that people think he's people on the right think he's too close to cheney or he's not pro-trump enough which is hard to believe but that that's the rap on the right against mccarthy then he he could get into leader trouble within his own party so he's trying to protect his right flank by making this endorsement looking at the context of his own leadership fights and also the politics of wyoming let's talk about the the race a little bit because there are a few things that are, are interesting one is that uh hageman as you point out seems to be moving into sort of that that front runner role but it, it at least right now remains a fairly crowded uh republican primary and there is not a runoff system in wyoming correct yeah i mean the best bet for liz cheney is that number one there would have been a lot of republican candidates splitting up mm -hmm. the anti-cheney vote and that maybe some Democrats and independents end up. It's an, right now, as of as of today, state law allows Democrats and independents to vote in a Republican primary. So maybe she she peels off some folks that are not as partisan. We'll uh, talk about and, that in a second. Finish your thought, but I want to talk about that too because that made some news this week. Yeah, and that that that's part of that was part of the initial thinking that that a crowded yeah. field of challengers could actually benefit Cheney quite a bit. But I think the bigger, bigger problem for Cheney, though, is that number one, that hasn't really transpired, and and number two, um, Hageman has consolidated support among the more Trump mm -hmm. conservative elements of, of the Republican Party in Wyoming. So there was a time when there were many candidates looking at running against Cheney. Hageman, there are still Anthony Bouchard, there are a few other candidates on that ballot, but Hageman has definitely consolidated the anti-Cheney sentiment in the Republican Party there. Well, and listen, having these endorsements now from from McCarthy and, and Elise Stefanik certainly is going to open up a ton of fundraising, you would think, right? I mean, are these endorsements now tied to financial support? Well, it, fundraising is interesting because Liz Cheney has been one of the best fundraisers. Right. At, you know, <laughs> she raises a lot. I mean, listen, she's a Cheney. She, she is a Cheney. She's, she's raised more money than she ever has, though. Um, and that's part of the, the dynamic of our politics, that money may not matter as much. I mean, it matters mm -hmm. to raise money, but ultimately the bigger test is where voters are, not not who's giving money to the various candidates. And Hageman, she, she just filed her end-of-quarter uh, report, and she, she's done quite well of, on her own mm -hmm. on the fundraising front. She raised almost a half million dollars in the last quarter, which is pretty good for for a House candidate. So even though Cheney raised a lot more money, uh, Hageman is certainly bringing in enough dollars to run a, a serious race. 
I will say Wyoming's media markets are not as expensive as other media markets. Cheyenne, yeah, it's a small, small state. Smaller take, state, yeah. Or big, it's a big it. state, small population. But right, and, and the media markets are smaller. There's sort of a, you know, you don't have to spend quite as much as you would in, like, you know, big urban areas generally. That's right. I mean, and, and you see this in a lot, with a lot of very extreme candidates who raise a lot of money on the left and on the right, mm-hmm. but they don't need all. I mean, you don't, you, <laughs> you don't need just yeah. need yeah. a certain amount to run a serious <laughs> race. And, and Hageman looks like she's hit that, that mark to raise all enough right. money to run a good campaign. So let me talk about the way that the primary is set up. This is not, you know, some states do this open primaries. Texas, for instance, is a big state that does the open primary system. You, you get to vote in a primary, the Republican or Democrat primary. You only vote in one. And you don't have to be pre-registered with a party to vote, right? So that would allow independents, people without a party affiliation, Democrats to vote in a Republican primary in in Wyoming, right? Yeah, that's right. Every state has their own rules for primaries. Virginia, where I'm from, you could be a Republican and vote in a Democratic primary. You can't vote in both, but you can pick one. You vote one or the other. And they're generally called open primaries. Open primaries. As opposed to closed primaries, which require you to, at a certain deadline before the election, register with one party or the other. That's right. And Wyoming is one of those states with an open primary. Democrats, independents can vote in the Republican primary. Now, what that's right right now, that's the law in place. Former President Trump endorsed a proposal this week. Uh, that I guess is in the the state legislature that would change that, right? That's that's right. That that the Trump Donald Trump Jr. is lobbying for a change in the law to close the primary to just Republican Party voters to help boost Hageman's chances, to help because, hurt Cheney's chances. So this is about that, right? This is about change. Abs- yeah. Because I mean, the idea is Cheney may not have as much support as she once had with Republican voters in Wyoming, but. She could survive if, say, Democrats, knowing that there's really not a viable alternative or independents vote for her. Yeah, Trump is obsessed with defeating by any means possible any of his opponents, any of his rivals, any of his critics. Earlier last year, he tried to change the rules to allow for a runoff system in Wyoming, which right. ended up not getting through the the state legislature. We don't know. I don't know what what the status of this legislation yeah, is, I don't but, either, but the 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 degree of aggressiveness and, and obsessiveness that that Trump is paying to local Wyoming politics just to oust Liz Cheney speaks to just how, you know, single-minded he is in trying to purge the party of any of his, his critics. So a couple more questions then. If Cheney survives this, and I know right now that looks increasingly unlikely with the way that polling is showing and, and these big endorsements are certainly uh, notable as well, where, do we, where would she fit in? Under a, a Kevin McCarthy speakership, uh, very uncomfortably, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, the relationship between the two has been been awkward from ever since she decided to to work with Democrats on the January sixth commission. And uh, I mean, it really even, started the, the bristle even before then. Yeah, you know? I mean, because she had been very outspoken against the former president, you know, after the election. There was a moment I I, I can't remember exactly what it was when. McCarthy was asked about Trump and he dodged the question and Cheney and at the same came forward was asked yeah. and said, uh, you know, I, I, I want nothing to do with this, this man. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that and it was an extremely awkward moment with all the House Republican yes. leaders standing next to each other. So, yeah, you're right, Jared. This was a little bit before the commission, but um, tension, you know, Cheney, initially McCarthy defended Cheney and mm-hmm. didn't 
you know, want to kick her out of leadership, didn't want to, you know, censure her as, as some of the right wing el- members of his party advocated for. But as, as she ended up getting, you know, becoming more of a thorn in Trump's side, and, and then certainly when she joined along with Adam Kinzinger, the January 6th commission investigating what happened, uh, on January 6th, that, that was sort of the, the beginning of the end. And, yeah. uh, the, her own state party, ex- I believe, expelled her, or, you know, basically Censure, kicked her out of the party, censured her. saw what happened at the RNC. Yeah. RNC did the same thing. I mean, the, yeah. the writing was on the wall. Right. The only question was how far was McCarthy himself going to go? So this takes a, does this take the pressure that I mean, you don't expect the House Republicans to move on her to expel her, you know, before November at this point, do you? Or is that still sort of out there? I mean, I, I think this may have been a move to hold off some of some of the even more extreme measures that that House Republicans could take. I, I, I don't know. Look, lots of things can happen, but she's an underdog in her primary right yeah. now. So I, the notion that Republicans need to do more things to show how, you know, Trumpy they are, it doesn't make a whole lot of political sense uh and and there's also a question i mean mccarthy raised this himself in an interview a few weeks ago the filing deadline isn't for a little bit in wyoming there's an open question on whether she actually ends up running interesting Um, and if if she sees polling if congresswoman cheney sees polling that continues to look pretty grim she may end up deciding not to run for re-election and pursuing uh you know other 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 uh, mm-hmm. strategies for her political future yeah adam kinsinger has already announced he will not be running uh for re-election in his district in illinois that is a, a very uh, interesting point one that i had not considered yet josh let me finish with this then and sort of go more big picture uh the importance right now um for republicans for a trump endorsement um more important than it was say when he was president less important uh, how do you play in sort of the endorsements that are now coming from senate republican leaders that i i'm assuming are going to move in the other direction you know what, what do you make if you're a voter of all of these endorsements what's interesting jared is that it's less now about trump's endorsement it's more about trying to avoid getting on trump's bad side you don't want to be attacked by Trump. You don't mean you may not need his endorsement though. And if he does endorse someone in a primary for a Senate race or a like Ohio, race, he's not endorsed, for instance, in the Ohio Republican well, uh, primary. The first well, let's Senate. let's look at some of the races where he has endorsed Alabama Senate race. Mo Brooks. Mm-hmm. Mo Brooks is not moving, not running away with that primary. It's a it's a three way race, and it's one where he struggled. The the Trump candidate, the Georgia governor's race. He has got Trump has gone all in. For David Perdue, he recruited mm-hmm. him into the race. He hates Brian Kemp, the governor, mm-hmm. and Kemp is now leading by by a healthy margin and seems to have the momentum in that campaign. Uh, I could go down and down the list of Trump endorsed candidates. A lot of them are doing very poorly in their respective primaries. Uh, so, I mean, his his power has waned, but I think what still has a lot of power is if Trump attacks you. If Trump decides that Liz Cheney is unacceptable, then she's going to be in trouble. If if he doesn't like you know any congressman who voted for impeachment, that's going to be a problem for them. But he's had a lot less success in endorsing and in, in single handedly promoting a candidate this cycle as compared to when he was president. What what about the um, the endorsement of, of Mitch McConnell? Is that going to mean much to voters? <laughs> well, I mean, the because endorsement- you know we talk we talk about the unusualness of say Kevin McCarthy coming out endorsing somebody um, because generally, as you point out, that the party leadership tries to stay neutral or at a minimum support the the incumbent. Um, Mitch McConnell has talked about, listen, we're we're going to stay neutral, but if I see something and I see a, a primary candidate who I don't think can win, I'm going to get involved. 
I mean, that that's not really the, the role historically of a Republican leader in the Senate, is it? Well, McConnell has always had his eye on, on, on the politics of his conference and the, the politics of, of primaries. Um, he's very much attuned to the reality that if you have a bad candidate or a candidate that's too extreme, they can w- lose in, in an otherwise good political environment. Uh, McConnell's endorsement, per se, doesn't matter like Trump's does, but his machinations behind the scenes actually may matter more. So when you look at you know Josh Hawley endorsing a candidate in Missouri uh, – Congresswoman Hartzler in that very crowded primary field because Republicans are worried that the scandalized former governor could win that nomination. That had that McConnell, I'm sure, has had conversations um, with other Republicans about that race. He's looking at races where you know you don't have a good you don't you don't have a clear candidate, but there may be a bad candidate in the mix that he doesn't want to win the nomination. And there are ways to do things behind the scenes that McConnell is very very aware of, and, and I think the his allies in, in, in Republican politics are, are doing their best to prevent unelectable candidates from winning some of these primaries. Well, we got a lot to watch. Uh, the first primary is actually uh, already underway uh, in, in Texas. Election Day, the primary day, March 1st. So that's something that we'll be watching uh, as uh, President Biden delivers his first State of the Union. That'll be a busy night for us. She'll be uh, part of our coverage, part of our uh, uh, broadcast team. Uh, so we will talk certainly uh, then and, and probably before then as well, Josh. I appreciate the time. Uh, have a good weekend. Looking forward to it, Jared. We'll see you later. That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, we'll of course report the latest from Washington and abroad on the situation in Ukraine and the push for a diplomatic resolution. And next week could be the week President Biden names his choice to join the U.S. Supreme Court as he prepares to deliver his first State of the Union address on March 1st. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch with those you care about. For our team here at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.